What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Renegade Animation on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host for this evening. And joining me, as always, is my co-captain, Cameron. Howdy, howdy. And, boy, we've got a fun show for you tonight, as we do pretty much every week. But this week, we are covering a few films from um, the New York International Children's Film Festival. And just as an aside, I hope every uh, film festival moving forward, COVID or not, um, continues going down the virtual path because this has been probably the best way to get exposed to a lot more international movies, but more on that later. For now, we've got some news to cover. So Cam, what do you got? Well, we got a light or a pseudo light news lineup to talk about. Um, unfortunately, we have to start with a uh, animation studio shutting down. Ver Animation Studio, a Moscow-based studio behind Ginger's Tale, which played at the uh, Annecy 2020 online event, closed, and there's no real reason behind it. Though a lot of assumptions are going around that it did not do very well at the box office in, in Russia, and that's about it. And then, of course, it's also like the changing landscapes of how hard it is to find 2D animators. And of course, we're in a pandemic still. So if your film doesn't do well and you're in dire need of a hit, well, the pandemic isn't going to make that easier. But also, Ginger's Tale was not all that great. It was a super boring movie to watch. And it's a shame because the 2D animation was actually not that bad. And it had a cool approach to the theme of greed. But then it was just like, it just wasn't that good. So I'm so hopefully the animators find some some like footing and work at other studios and such. Yeah, that's a that's a real shame. Um I I never got to see Ginger's Tale, but it looked it looked okay from just based off that trailer. Yeah, no, it it um it, it it's always cool to see 2D animation from other countries and Russia has a very bountiful animation scene and it's just a shame when a studio gets shut down because, you know, it's just one less in the world. Mm -hmm. So I, I need to stop saying we haven't heard anything about certain movies because anytime I do say that a trailer pops up the next two days, few days after we record these episodes because we finally have our first look at Spirit Untamed, the somewhat maybe connected movie to the Netflix TV series that's based off of the really good 2000s animated feature. Yeah, this movie's weird. <laughs> like so, yeah. Well, it, it, let let's start with the cast. They announced that Isabella Mer- Merced, uh, Mer- Merced, sorry, Julianne Moore. Jake Gyllenhaal, Marsai Martin, McKenna Grace, Andre Brower, Walton Goggins, and Isa Gonzalez are part of the cast. It will be directed by Elaine Bogan, who worked on Troll Hunters, Tales of Arcadia, and will be produced by Karen Foster, who co-produced How to Train Your Dragon. And it's co-directed by Inio Torresan, who is the head of story for The Boss Baby. And... Amy Dodery is behind the music. So, uh, 
there is a few things to keep in note of. It might be based off of the TV series, but considering the tone of the movie trailer or the preview that we saw, it doesn't look like it's connected to the show. Just it's it's like it's superficially connected to the show. Two, this is being done by an outside studio, kind of like what uh, they did DreamWorks did with Captain Underpants. And I don't know. Like it looks fine. It, I don't know. It looks like a higher end direct to video f- film or a film that should have probably stayed on Netflix. Yeah, wait, I'm, I'm confused. Is this, um, I, are they trying to release this theatrically? Oh, yeah. No, that they're aiming for a June 4th release through Universal Pictures. Yeah. Okay. Good luck with that. <sighs> like, I mean, I don't know. I don't hear as many people talk about the shows. It might it might be harmless or solid or whatever. It's just it's weird. It, it uh, I don't know. Any thoughts? Um, I let me just apologize to the audience for us struggling to come up with words for this because this this franchise is kind of weird. Um, so. The, the original film, Stallion of uh, Sim- Simarin, came out in 2002 and wasn't really a, like, um, a box office smash. So, um, so the series that was on Netflix, um, Spirit Riding Free, that came out like 14 years later. And just, it just kind of snuck into Netflix because, you know, for the longest time, Netflix and DreamWorks had like a multi a multi-year deal. So it it just kind of became one of those shows that would just that was just guaranteed like 10 seasons. Um so it was it was on neither one of our radar until honestly until this movie uh, was announced. So if so forgive us if we if we don't have the most informed opinion about all of this. No, and it could just be something that we might not tackle because it's out of our rank area of interest. And considering how uh, how many seasons are there, Mike? Ten, according to Wikipedia. Yeah, um, that's going to be a lot to commit to with just this one movie. So if we do cover it, and if it's somehow in theaters, we'll probably wait until it hits on demand if it you know piques our curiosity enough. But uh, yeah, um, let's just move on. <laughs> uh, hopefully it's good. Well, let's just say that. Yeah. So Canto, a fantasy comic, is getting an animated feature with Jada Pinkett and Will Smith's Westbrook Studios. And it's, um, so the comic, you know, is based on a six issue arc. And, um, and it was, oh, it was apparently renewed, like recently, um, by IDW Publishing, and not much else. Um, so uh, let's see here. Uh, right, so the writer, David M. Boer, um, will be writing the screenplay, and um, Drew Zucker w- um, will also be an executive pro- producer alongside him. Um, it looks interesting. I've never heard of this uh, book, comic book series, so I'm so out of the loop of what's new with comics and such yeah i I haven't heard of this one either but um 
the fact that Will and Jada Smith are behind this means you're gonna get you're gonna get some uh, some top notch talent attached um, either to write, direct, or um, or star in this. And I'm really curious to see uh, who get who gets attached to this moving forward. Yeah, no, we'll have to see if it's also like 2D or CGI or like where they exactly want to distribute this film. So, uh, good news and bad news. Good news. We got our first look at Infinity Train Book 4. Yay! Bad news. It's the final season. Aww. (laughs) So, um... Yeah, so let's see here. In book four, Ryan and Minji are forced to put their music aspirations on hold as they board the train at the same time and receive the exact same number, exploring the train's inner puzzles in order to solve its mysteries and return home. The two old friends also find their relationship put to the test. Now, uh, Owen Dennis talked about this, and he did um, talk about some of the casting for it, and one of the is that uh johnny young bosch is play is playing one of the brothers and oh i that sounds good to me so yeah i um, i i like the casting of this and one thing that's interesting um now who knows in in the like in the season itself like we could discover um like more of their backstory but just based off this trailer this is this is one of the first times where um we're getting introduced to like pretty pretty much totally brand new characters um because a pattern i've noticed in in previous seasons is we'll meet the protagonists for the next book in like the seventh episode of of the season like in book one we met the mirror tulip um in the seventh episode where they enter like the mirror car um and then in book two, we meet Simon and Grace at the carnival. Um, so and, I, um, and, and I, I don't, three. yeah, I don't, I don't remember meeting, um, meeting these two in book three. I think they just had to uh, cut that tradition out because we don't see them in book three, or at least from our, what I remember, we don't see them. And uh, just a heads up for the rest of the casting. Sakai Mugura, uh, Murashige is playing Ryan. And then we got, I, I assume that little uh, bell thing, Kez, is played by Minty Lewis. Um, and yeah, so unfortunately, this, well, we, we will probably not find out what happened to the uh, false conductor and that little glitch girl. And oh, that's unfortunate because there are, uh, I don't know. I guess I would have liked to have least seen two more seasons just so you can use one of them to wrap up that storyline and then introduce the brothers and then the brothers take up the final season but i don't know it's weird because infinity trains an anthology series for the most part and yeah for the for the most part by the by the way one thing that we should note is um at least according to wikipedia so this season um premieres on april 15th and it looks like we're getting all 10 episodes at once Oh as yeah, opposed- no. Owen Dennis confirmed we're getting uh, all ten episodes, as as opposed to how they ruled out uh, book three, which was the first five, and then each week we got like one episode. Oh, hate when I do did that. Still do. 
and I'm wondering if that still hurt them. And I'm sure the AT&T murder merger is still kind of involved with why this is only getting one more season. Oh, that has to, that has to be the reason. Because, you know, they also canceled the 12-ounce mouse see, like season, and the creator said himself, oh, it's just new people in charge, and that's never a good sign. So you can try to attack Cartoon Network for some dumb reason, but I'd rather you go after AT&T and the people up there who uh, made this decision. So because don't blame it on Owen Dennis. Don't blame it on him or his team because that's just stupid. You're, you're attacking the wrong person. So let's talk about some HBO Max news. We, um, so, Speaking of AT&T. Yeah. <laughs> for better uh, or for worse. Yeah, for better or for worse. The roller derby graphic novel Slam is getting adapted into a TV series for HBO Max. And part of it will be help produced by Rooster Teeth Studios. Mm, got mixed feelings about that. But, uh, um, but in general, so Slam is an adult animated half-hour series set in the fast-paced, hard-hitting, super-cheeky, all-female world of banked-tracked roller derby. Following two young women who will have to decide if their budding friendship is stronger than the pull of a team when a win is on the line. The series will be brought to life using a groundbreaking combination of rotoscope and 3D animation to take viewers into the sport in a way never vi- visualized on screen before. That's you know, going- I, I understand your reservation for, um, for Rooster Teeth, but ju- just imagining the, um, the combination of like rotoscoping and 3D animation and like um i'm 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 imagining like it having a little bit a little bit more of like a comic book aesthetic sort of like into the spider-verse and honestly i'm pretty excited yeah no i'm i am assuming they're going to try to do like a spider-verse kind of approach what worries me is the motion capture because we've seen what happens when studios try to use motion capture and have no idea what they're doing you know x arm and i it Motion capture is such a tricky thing because you can't just rely on it and you need animators to work the animated elements with throughout the motion capture, which is why like Doro Hidoro and Beastars look so good because they knew what they were doing with the CGI and whatnot. But um, no, this one sounds good. I'm always, HBO Max is putting up some really interesting projects and I just hope the merger from AT&T does not kill any of them. So so we also got our first sneak peek at the upcoming Yasuke anime from LaShawn Thomas, the creator of Netflix's Cannon Busters anime. And we it will the anime will premiere April 29th. And of course, this will star Lakeith Stanfield, who was also in the recent Judas and the Black Messiah which is really good, y'all. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got some photos. And this, will, of, course, of course, will be animated by Studio Mappa. And this was apparently done a year or so ago. So no worries about like, oh, man, Mappa's getting too busy for its own good. No, they're, they're, they're fine. I, they're fine. <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to this. It looks great. And I'm down for whatever Netflix is doing. Even, even if the this doesn't fully work this uh six episode series it's going to be a lot more interesting than most anime released yeah um i need to see a trailer soon mostly because i want to hear i don't i don't think um 
Lakeith Stanfield has done much uh, voice acting. So I'm really curious to see um, how he does um, in this series. He did a little in BoJack Horseman, but that's about it from what I remember. And let's just say I might be able to watch this early. I can't say much else. So, um, so the voice cast for the Lost Ollie limited series has been announced. And we have Jonathan, Jonathan Groff, Mary J. Blige, Tim Blake Nelson, Gina Rodriguez, Jake Johnson, and Kessler Talbot. Um, they'll be in this four-episode, 45-minute live-action CGI animation project from Shannon Tyndall, who worked on Kubo and the Two Strings and Coraline, Peter Ramsey, who, of course, Rise of the Guardians and Into the Spider-Verse, and will be produced by Sean Levy's 21 Laps Entertainment. And boy, that's a great cast. Yeah, this 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 is uh, this is pretty stacked. So they they so from Animation Magazine they have a rundown of who's going to play who. So John Jonathan Groff is going to voice Ollie, the handmade toy rabbit. Uh, Mary J. Blige is going to play Rosie, a raggedy teddy bear stitched together from other toys. That's going to be an in- interesting visual to see. Um, Tim Blake Nelson is going to play Zozo, a clown doll who is an old toy and an even older soul. That I love Tim Blake Nelson. Uh, Gina Rodriguez is going to play Mama. The uh, I'm assuming the okay. So it looks like Gina Rodriguez, uh, Jake Johnson, and Kels, uh, Kessler Talbot are going to play like the human characters, like the live action elements. Um, that's cool. I I can't wait to see what this looks like. Yeah. Um, is there a release date for this? Um, I did not see one. Um, let me quickly just see. Uh, no, not one yet. Okay. So, so we'll have to see. They say it's upcoming, but when they say upcoming, it who knows what that means. Yeah, uh, just like they'll. The, what's gonna happen is, um, they'll announce like the release date in July, and <laughs> and it'll be like set in August. Oh gosh. So Central Park, the Apple Plus series, it got renewed for season three ahead of its season two premiere. Unfortunately, we did not cover this one last year. I think we were kind of assuming with the whole recasting of the one character from Christian who was voiced by Christian Bell was going to happen. And I just kept pushing it off and off. And then but we'll cover it when we cover season two. So, yeah, I think I think that's fair. Um, like. The, the fact that it's getting a third season means two things. One, um, that Apple TV really likes uh, working with Bento Box on this project. And two, um, that, people re- that people really like it. So I'm pretty sure this might be, th- this might go um, for a long, a long time. We'll have to see because... I mean, like a lot of people, this is made by some of the same people who made Bob's Burgers and Bob's Burgers is of course very popular. And then there's that uh, other animated show that is new for this year. I forgot what it's called, but it's uh, the, the great, great North. Yeah. The great North with Nick Offerman. And so we'll have to see, we'll have to see how this goes. The first three episodes of season two will be dropping June 25th and it'll be a weekly release. Oh, uh, by the way, um, this we we are currently in um, Bob's Burgers' eleventh season. Whew, golly, good job for that show. 
I still remember enjoying it. I just, that's a lot to try to catch up on. So the uh, Crude 2 writers, Kevin and Dan Hodgman, are inking an overall deal with CBS Studios. And they will produce uh, television content for, uh, well, the studio. And I'm sure, oh, oh, they are the executive producers and showrunners for the upcoming Star Trek Prodigy TV series. So, and they're also writing a film sequel to uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which that was a freaking scary movie for a family audience. Like, man. <laughs> and they're also working on the adaptate the live action adaptation of the Dragon Slayer movie starring Ryan Reynolds. Still don't know how that one's gonna work, but we'll just have to wait and see for that. But yeah. I I really like the the work that these two have done so far. Yeah. So Sony Pictures Animation is making well, they're they're basically saying like I'm gonna be the studio that y'all made fun of, but I'm the only one in the main uh, scene that's going to push for more diverse animation and stories because they have a new movie coming out in uh in the future called um what is it called k-pop demon hunters and it will be directed by maggie kang or kong or kang sorry yeah and chris Applehans or apple hans sorry if i get those na- last names incorrect um well kang's uh credit includes the lego ninjago movie and so th- this is what Variety has to say. Um, is mounting the project as a homage to her Korean pride and the wildly popular K-pop music she grew up with. The movie is described as an action adventure that follows a world-renowned girl group as they balance their lives in the spotlight with their secret identities as demon hunters. They'll be set against a colorful backdrop of fashion, food, style, and music. And uh, Apple Hans is the guy behind Wish Dragon. Um, and Aaron Warner of Shrek is going to be producing. Um, Hannah McMahon and Danya Jimenez. Uh, um, and let's see, Monica Hanya are writing the script. And yeah, no, this sounds great. <laughs> when when I when I saw this article, um, and read and read like that little synopsis, I knew I knew immediately that I. I needed to see this like yesterday. This is this. Um, I may not be the biggest um, K-pop aficionado, but but the premise of combining combining that with yeah. demon hunting sounds too bizarre to not want to see immediately on the teaser image. And if that's what the film's going to look like with some wildly stylish CGI animation, yes, please. Yeah, yes, yes, please. Speaking of with animation and music, Mark Anthony and his studio, Magnus Studios, are teaming up to um, be executive producing and being a musical producer for a film called Kuwaiti, which I haven't heard about this movie in ages because it's it, it got notoriety because it's being it's starring and being executive produced by Sofia Vergara and it'll be produced by Upstairs Animation and that just sounds cool. And so it's like, Kuwaiti follows three unlikely heroes. Nachi, a free-spirited uh, Cody. Zochi, a fearless monarch butterfly. And Paco, a hyperactive glass frog. As they embark on an adventure to stop a wicked coral snake, Zena, uh, voiced by Sophia herself, from destroying their homeland and friends. I haven't listened to Mark Anthony in years. <laughs> That's just a name. It's 
Like now there's a name I haven't heard of in years. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say the la- the last time that Mark Anthony was, you know, relevant to be honest was like the early 2000s. Yeah, no. I, I think I had one of his songs on one of those Now CDs. <laughs> Same. It, it it's it must have been like now four or five. I, I think it was four because I remember that one being my favorite. Um, so let's talk about the most controversial bit of animation news of this week: the first look at the Paw Patrol movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm trying to hide the fact that we're going to talk about something a little more loaded soon. So the Kids Choice Awards, um showed off the first look for the Paw Patrol film, and it looks fine. <laughs> I don't really have anything else to add. No, it's it looks be- like it's going to be better than... I mean, of course, when you're putting a TV show ba- um, onto the big screen, you have to actually spend the money on it to make it look good, but it, it, it looks like maybe a direct-to-video kind of CGI film. Like, not like an early one, but like one of the later ones that come that like come out now. And from what it looks like, it seems like the Paw Patrol character, like the animals are going to be voiced by kids, and then the, cele- the celebrities are going to be kind of sprinkled throughout. And ah, there's not much else. I don't think we're really going to cover this unless... There is just something about this that we have to talk about. So I guess let's move on to the actual controversy, unless you have anything else to say. Uh, no, let's go. Let's move on to the actual controversy. Let's talk about the cut Pepe Le Pew scene um, for the Space Jam sequel. So recently it's been confirmed along with the whole controversy about Lola Bunny. Um, they heated debate of... Well, I say heated debate. Um, what because of just the notorious comedy that angle that Pepe had going with, for him in his old shorts. There was apparently a scene where uh, LeBron James was basically saying, "Don't touch another tune without their consent," and they cut that scene out. And there's been a whole debate about whether this was a good idea or not. Because on one hand, I understand why people would find Pepe Le Pew uh, kind of a hard character to swallow, just because of his antics and the old in the old uh, shorts. Even though he was the butt of the joke for a lot of it, because he was the one getting punished for being a creep. But I get why his humor might not age well. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm where I'm at right now. Um, and something else we should kind of point out is that in 2016, um, Max Landis was attached to a Pepe Le Pew film for Warner Brothers. And uh, if you know anything about Landis, that's a big red flag. Yeah, oosh, that's a whole other hot bag of potatoes. Um, um, but the other thing about Pepe Le Pew, which... Um, which has always been kind of fascinating is that um, like, like the, the whole metaphor behind his character is he, he's like, he's a skunk who can't smell his own stench. Um, it, it like in, in other words, you know, in, in a lot of those, um, those uh, classic shorts, um, you know, they like, they may be viewed with a more um, 
critical eye today um, because a lot of the times, like, he just cannot take no for an answer. Um, th- th- thankfully, um, I like Chuck Jones and, uh, and the team behind those shorts are a lot smarter and they understand that um, he's always going to be the butt of the joke. But I, un- I understand that um, for a more modern audience, that character um, would come off as less um, acceptable. So but here's what the scene was called, like described as. Pepe was set to appear in a black and white Casablanca style, like, like Rick's cafe sequence. Pepe, playing a bartender, starts hitting on a woman at the bar played by uh, Gertie Santo. Um, uh, he begins kissing her arm while she pulls back, then slamming Pepe into the chair next to hers. She then pours her drink on Pepe and slaps him hard, sending him spinning in a stool, which is then stopped by LeBron James's hand. James and Bugs Bunny are looking for Lola, and Pepe knows her whereabouts. Pepe then tells the guys that Penelope Cat has filed a restraining order against him, I guess, finally. <laughs> uh, James makes a remark in the script that Pepe can't grab other tunes without their consent. And Grace, Grace Santo has also talked about the cut of the, like the scene getting cut and was against it um, because she's also a survivor of this kind of, um, she was a survivor of this, of this kind of situation of sexual harassment and spoken out against it. And there's definitely a lot more to talk about with this well, uh, topic. Um, um... So she, so just to be clear, she was against them cutting the scene. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm still kind of on the fence about it, but hearing, hearing her perspective kind of helps me lean more towards, I would have preferred to see the scene unless it was cut for other reasons. Like maybe, maybe the scene didn't flow as well um, in the finished, um, like in the finished cut of the film. Maybe, um, may- maybe it just didn't test well with audiences. There's, there, there is, um, there has to be more than one reason, and probably only one of those reasons is actually altruistic, while the other is more, um, I guess, for lack of a better term, a more mechanical reason for the scene being cut. Mm-hmm. No, uh, we'll just have to see if they actually give us a scene or like give us a reason for why it was cut like an actual reason instead of just saying you know just like not saying anything because that's kind of interesting to hear well it it's not kind of it is interesting to hear that she was actually for the scene since it was all about putting pepe in his place and that's all and pepe's always been i think one of the ones who uh, looney tune characters who's harder to adapt for a modern audience oh Oh um, yeah because there was that lightly because after the looney tunes show from the 2010s there was that other spinoff that came up and he was like a secret agent i think from what i remember so it just uh, i'm mixed i i get why they cut it but i also feel like there's a good reason to talk about like to show scenes like that to be like hey let's actually nip this in the butt and Tell them that consent is everything. Consent is important. Um, because at, as far as I can tell, this is a lot more interesting to talk about than the stupid Lola Bunny thing. And I know I kind of dismissively try to avoid talking about it, but it's like when everyone realized that the photos, that side-by-side comparison game, 
shown around on Twitter was a fan picture and not from the actual movie. It's like, I don't know what it is about the Looney Tunes getting stuck in non-traversies, but it's getting a little tiring, even though this is only the second time. <laughs> um, and the other thing about Lola Bunny, which makes the non-traversy even less um, like non-traversal, is that this isn't even her first redesign. Like the character has been like revamped a couple times um, as a baby in Baby Looney Tunes, um, but most notably um, with the Looney Tunes show back in 2011 when um, Kristen Wiig. Yeah, when Kristen Wiig gave us the best interpretation of this character. Yeah, and it's like I've seen people defend Lola Bunny from the film and not just because, oh, she was hot and whatever. No, I saw a much more interesting discussion about just the whole, the words from Malcolm D. Lee saying like, oh, she was deemed too sexy, so we wanted to make her strong and powerful. And it's like, but she was Lola was like the powerful. best player in the movie. So are you saying that a woman can't both be strong and sexy? Because you can. The pe- and again, and I said this back in the winter 2021 anime thing, people don't hate sexiness or just like sexy characters. They hate it when it's just there for the sake of it, or that's just their one defined trait. So I don't know. That part, that, that response kind of bugged me just because it's like, it sounds very limiting <laughs> to who Lola could be as a character. And it's like, she can't be attractive. She has to be strong and that's it. And it's like, you can make them both. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, let, let, last thing I'll say about, about Lola Bunny is, you know, sure, um, character design does matter, but what matters more is the brain you put in the character. Yeah, and uh, that it, it's just an... So, some of these animation controversies are so dumb when they should be focusing on stuff like anime studios in Japan. They're being, they have horrible working conditions and there should be more of a push to make sure they get better working benefits and conditions so they aren't burning out and, you know, important things. Not, oh, this bunny's not hot anymore. <laughs> oh, gosh. Such a train wreck of a discussion. But that's all the news that we have. Now, before we get started with our three films, I'm going to ask you a question, Mike. All right. Since we've started this podcast, I've been introducing you to foreign animation, old and new. We've been go- you've been able to be- have more access to it due to a lot of these the- uh, festivals being more uh, like, you know, doing the whole virtual theater kind of situation you were able to see films that normally you wouldn't be able to otherwise so after a year or so of because you know now it's renegade animation has is now a year old um what's been your take and giveaway or your takeaway from being able to dive into more of the stuff that i like to cover um well i'd i'll say that seeing getting getting to watch more films from outside of the U.S. has a really helped me appreciate um the medium more like um I feel I feel like I have a more um enriched opinion on animation now that I've got a taste of um films from other parts of the world um and 
well well i'm not a fan of of um like drag dragging studios down to lift another up i also have to be honest a lot of the foreign animated films that i've watched that i've been watching are miles ahead of of like of most american productions but that's because that's because they take a little bit more of an artisan approach to the medium um now i i i know i know in japan um we like we talk about we we talk about the like poor um work conditions of uh like japan's animation scene but um you know other other places around the world um like in france in italy um russia even um or brazil it's it's it seems it seems like animation still has a more creative focus if that if that makes any sense yeah no the thing that i've loved about foreign animation i kind of talk about this in my bombay review which the uh director commented on my review for it and loved it and uh I guess I'm going to carry this bit of ego with me because she said I understood the entire movie and its themes. So <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, that there's a lot more going on with foreign animation and not that there aren't any bad film. Like don't like, because just because that I, I say I love and kind of prefer what's going on overseas compared to what happens in the U S does not mean that there aren't, or just, there isn't a lot of bad stuff. If a movie can get made anywhere, then a bad movie can come from anywhere. So, but let's get started with the New York International Children's Film Festival. Let's start with our first film on the docket, Nahuel and the Magic Book. Um, all right, I'll start off with this one. So uh, the film follows Nahuel, a curious boy and the son of a fisherman who has a deep fear of the sea. One day he stumbles upon a mystical book that seems to be the solution to all his troubles. Um, they call it the uh, the Levisterio. Um, but little does he know, um, this book uh, catches the attention of um, an evil sorcerer named uh, Kalku. And pretty pretty much the, the rest of the movie is about Nahuel and, you know, his motley crew, um, Try trying to stop um Kalku from I don't know taking over the world or something. <laughs> what else do you do with a magic book? Exactly. Um, I mean, I I use mine to prop up the coffee table. So, <laughs> uh, bad jokes aside. So, uh, for context, I saw this way back at Annecy 2020, and this is now my second time being able to see this film, which I'm assuming this film is going to maybe have a, a U.S. release soon since it got it. This is its official uh, U.S. premiere at this festival. What did you think overall about it, Mike? Um, overall, I, I really liked it. Um, I, 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 I didn't have expectations, so I can't say I was disappointed. Um, I just, I just think compared to the other two films, um, that we're about to cover, I think it's, um, a little bit more on the weaker side. Um, I love, I love the art direction. Um, I described it in my quick thoughts as sort of a mix between like Miyazaki and, uh, and like the, the designs for, um, Hilda on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think the only, the only thing that's 
that's kind of stopping me from giving this like my full like the full five out of five is that i just think um it like the animation doesn't doesn't quite seem as uh as cinematic and it's not it's not because it's it's 2d it's because um it, it's it's because the move the movements aren't aren't quite as smooth um there there's something about it that just doesn't have it it doesn't have um it doesn't have the polish that yeah that's the, that's from. the word i was looking for it's it's not a, it's not as polished as um as other um 2d films that i've seen recently yeah overall for me i still really like this film i gave it a four out of five i think what yeah i think those are the same things that's holding it back for me are the it's mostly just the animation just because it's not as fluid and it's a little simple not that that's ever a bad thing i think it actually has a very substantial story but i would argue that it's not anything deeper than a lot of other animated films i've seen aimed at families so let's talk about like some of the good stuff first for one even though there was a pitch trailer for this uh film i think the final product looks better and i can understand why the director and his team uh chose this hilda steven universe style art or craig of the creek art style it moves a lot better than um than i think a lot of people like to give that style credit for i don't even i don't even remember what the the original trailer looked like it didn't look like this it, it was like a drastic change um and i mean like a lot of people like to think that more detailed characters means better animation but i and i've said this before and i'm going to drill it in to everyone every animator animation fan's head more details means more work that needs to go into the animation there's a reason why people like cartoons have such distinct and simplistic designs because if your design is too busy that's going to be a pain to animate you can make it look as good as it wa- as you want but uh if it can't move well that's a problem yeah I, so that that's that's why i like the the character designs in this um there's they're simple but like they're simple but at least um at least they move uh pretty decent yeah no and i like a lot a lot of the designs um i liked the uh the female lead that nahuel runs into i like uh the big dog i like the trickster and i and i like our villain and finally we have a villain an evil sorcerer villain after going through red shoes and the seven dwarves and charming that's actually threatening and intimidating and actually has like a presence in that actually, movie actually gets the job done the, well, kind of yeah kind of <laughs> but it's like it's so refreshing to see that because it's so easy just to be like it's an evil sorcerer what else do you want and it's like i want character and i happen to find like a lot of the side characters charming i, I like that hermit that they run into and i and i like the uh the backstory behind the dog and the uh raven woman that uh they encounter and while i don't think nahuel and the uh the female girl the little girl uh fresha are, yeah fresha are the most interesting characters of the bunch i did like them i i didn't like find them too annoying or anything and 
Elise Fresha seemed like she could hold her own instead of being the damsel in distress. Yeah, I I I like I like them just fine. Um, the the relationship between um, Nahul and his father kind of reminds me of a lot of a lot of like the same reoccurring plot you see in um, in the cartoon saloon movies oh, yeah, where song, like Song of the Sea. <laughs> yeah, where basically like the dad the dad is like like I love you, but you can't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> no the the main story arc emotional story arc is that uh Nahuel's mom died while giving birth to him and the dad is still kind of holding on to the the uh, regret and the angst that comes with a very traumatic incident and not and like the whole theme and commentary of Nahuel is for Nahuel to embrace courage and basically get over his fears and I think that's like it the theme itself is handled pretty well it's a little basic but considering like and and I'll go say and I'll say this I think I'm a lot lighter on this film like I still get like I said four out of five I still really enjoyed it and I'll buy the blu-ray if this ever comes out uh, in the U.S. I'm I like this movie a lot because it shows what South America can do with animation because it seems like, and no offense to the animation community on YouTube, but they kind of paint a very simplistic image of just like, oh, South America just makes those mockbusters that come out every time Disney and Pixar release something. And it's like, listen, that's not true. And that's very dismissive of the actual talent that comes from South, like places like Brazil and whatnot. Yeah, because every, every every nation is capable of of like, um, and even and even the, even this movie, I I think is more just an independent feature. So it it has a little bit more. It has more. It has more soul to it than than you might expect. It has, and just because people think that nothing good comes out of there, it's like the whole thing of like, oh well, it's from China, so it's going to look bad. Uh, which is not true either since we're going to talk about a really good Chinese animated film next. Um, is that like, I lost my train of thought actually. <laughs> no. Um, oh, now I remember. Sorry. Um, Boy in the World is from Brazil and it was nominated for a Best Animated Feature Oscar and it won the Annie's first foreign slash indie feature. So award show. So shut it. <laughs> And and like I said, I and I and I like the dynamics between the characters. Like I like that the hermit is kind of tough, but when he finally sees Nahuel, like kind of break down of just like feeling like he failed. I like that he's just kind of like, hey, you know what? Don't listen to me. Um, and I like the joke when uh the big dog character uh saves Nahuel and Fresha from that pig snake thing, <laughs> and they're like a talking dog. The dog talked and then they're and then the dog's like you just encountered a 400 pound monster that was about to kill you yet the talking dog is what freaks you out and basically (laughs) yeah the 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 dialogue in this movie is um it's it's funny but but in a very stealthy fashion yeah it kind of drops jokes here and there that makes you chuckle and and I, I liked a lot of the quiet moments with Nahuel and his dad, like when he gets on the boat before, you know, disaster strikes. I like that. It's very quiet. It just does that little montage of the father and son fishing. And 
like it it does a lot i mean i know it sounds like we're not being very praiseworthy of this film but i do like some of the aspects like i like the uh the grandmother that fresha fresa is with and how she just holds her own against the evil sorcerer's uh henchman or henchwoman in this case and like like it was just different you know like it kind it flips that whole uh trope of like the elderly older characters useless but you know it, it was just cool to rewatch all this and just and be able to enjoy the characters and and like the interactions like i love like the two when the two kids are just like i want to pet the dog i wonder if he likes being rubbed behind his ears and the <laughs> dog's just like you try that and you'll be missing a hand now go back to sleep <laughs> uh but do you have any other per, uh comments to make about this film um j- just just piggybacking off you off what you said about the character inter- interactions i know i know this is this was intended as a standalone film, but if they ever want to continue, um, like continue the adventures of these characters in like a series or maybe just a sequel, I would be totally down for more. Um, like I, I could see like a hundred different adventures with like with Nahuel, Fresha, and um, and what's the wolf's name? Uh, Rowende. I think so. I forgot. Um, yeah, like there's. <laughs> there's there's a lot there's a lot to enjoy from um like like the like the world building um and maybe like maybe maybe on in future films you could see um like nahuo like mastering like the uh uh like the spells in the um the levisterio uh there's uh like there there are directions that you can that you can take this in that i think would be really cool yeah, I could see maybe like a sequel or maybe like a TV series because I think that's one of the one thing that that um holds this film back is that it's fairly simple and but it's like it but it's complex enough to be engaging. It's, it, it's complex enough in like um in the stuff that matters like um like like the themes that are like deeply rooted in in the story um you know um so something I like about Nahuel's arc is that um, he ha- he has a fear of the sea, which kind of like puts him at a distance between his father. Um, so that 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 get that gives him like a very clear motivation to overcome his fear, um, which 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 I think is which I think is nice. Yeah, yeah. No, overall, this is a, a really solid movie, and I and if. I, I I assume that maybe like uh, Shout Factory is going to bring this over because, you know, they brought over the other Brazilian animated film called Tito and the Birds, which is really good. Um, we'll have to talk about that film sometime. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, if there's some way you can watch it, I'd recommend it. I, I, I'm pretty sure it's going to end up on Netflix um, at some point. I don't know if the, I don't know if that's just international or or if it's coming stateside, but um how, however however the mo the majority of um the audience can see it you should definitely check it out right right so let's move on to our second film our i don't think this is our first chinese animated film we've talked about on this podcast but it's one of our it's one of the bigger films from that country and so we're going to talk about the legend of hey and it's h-e-i we're not just saying hey 
Um, so this was a 2D animated film. It's a prequel to a popular webtoon series. And it premiered last year at the Contra Champs section of Annecy 2020. And it, I don't think it won there. I, for, I forgot who the winners were of that section. But uh, we got to see a small preview of it. And for one thing, it was well known and noted for its really fluid 2D animation. And mm-hmm. this was a really good movie. I, I think China is hitting its it's stride with um with their animated features now since 2015 and we'll talk about this in a future episode when we talk about uh new gods neza reborn and a few other chinese animated features but china has had a bountiful animation scene and like i said we'll talk about this another time but uh what did you think about this show i mean this film um well first of all a little bit of a plot synopsis for those um for those who aren't aware um so this follows um, the cat spirit uh, Lu Xiaohei. Um, his home is uh, deforested by humans, so he must find a new one. So he runs to a group of other spirit creatures who take him under their wing with dreams of reconquering the land they say is rightfully theirs. However, they run into a human known as, um, well, they call him Infinity in the English dub, um, who separates uh, Hay from the other spirits, and the two go on a journey with the cat spirit learning to control his abilities as well as forming his own thoughts on whether or not he should ally with the spirits or the humans. So um, what, 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 one way you can, you can definitely tell how much I love a movie is when I want to see more. And thankfully, because this is a prequel, I can see more. Well, theoretically. I don't know. I don't know where I can actually watch the series. Um, I'm sure it was brought over by uh, fans on YouTube or something to watch with yeah, subtitles. I'll, and... I, um, I'll, 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 I'll find it one day and consider this a sight on a sight unseen recommendation. Um, but this movie rocks. It's um, like for Chinese film, they do such a good job at like at. Um, at like sort of emulating the style of like of a lot of Japanese animators, like it it really it really reminds me a lot of uh, like um, like Miyazaki films, but mixed but mixed with like some character designs from like Studio Trigger, in in very subtle ways. Um, like it it's, it's a mix of that plus I, I see a little bit of uh, Masaki Iwasa's influence in there in there too with like with the movements and uh, and how the plot just kind of gets out there. Yeah, so one of the things that I remember worrying about when I first learned about this movie was it was in the trailers that you would see, it would introduce a lot of characters. And I have something to say about that when we get to that point. And this was some, and I was a little worried because uh, there's this Chinese animated film called Big Fish and Begonia, which is also pretty good. I would say Legend of Hay is what Big Fish should have been. But Big Fish would like introduce all of these characters and not in a very subtle way because it, it, it's like it was it was balancing. It was trying to balance out the main characters and then everyone else who were there to either spice out the world building or were actually like super important to the plot. But the film, the storytelling wasn't as good from what I remember watching of it to make that work. But here 
it's like we do have it is a story about humans versus nature and i know everyone likes to roll their eyes at it like a man another humans versus nature we got to protect the environment movie this movie approaches that topic in a very morally gray way yeah i was, I was gonna say um there's th- like if, if 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 you're not paying attention then you don't really know who who's the hero and, and who's the villain and even if you are paying attention like they do such a good job of of like um giving both sides like equ- equal amount of um of agency like um i think their names are like stormend and uh infinity both they both see themselves as like as the heroes of their own of their own stories and they 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 each have motivations that make total sense um and it's even it's even kind of heartbreaking to hear um Stormman's di- side of the story where where his home was just like just over time taken over um by humans sort sort of like how um how like modern cities have like become gentrified over over the years it's it's kind of like that same approach there's a lot of nuance to how you can approach this story about and what the spirits represent. And there's this one line, and I really love it. It's from one of the side characters that uh, Hei meets with uh, Infinity. Um, and uh, they're talking about how Stormend is like, well, he's, he's not a bad spirit, but he's also too violent for his own goods, and he takes things too far. Then Hei is like, well, yeah, but that's because humans are evil. And the guy just like he has kind of like an eh, um humans are just like spirits. They're not all bad or good, and sometimes it's hard to distinguish the two. That line is great, mm-hmm. and there are little bits and pieces like that, like when um Infinity is talking to Hey, and he's saying like, "So you're going to take revenge on humanity? Yeah. So you're going to kill everyone?" And Hey, he's just like, um, it's like he kind of puts him. It's like, don't like, why are, do you want revenge on the humans? And why do you trust the people that helped you without really knowing what their intentions may be? It's, it's be- almost like this movie kind of deconstructs the, like the cliche battle between good and evil. It's like, um, it, like, it kind of forces you to ask like, why, like, why are these the good guys and why are they the bad guys? Um, it's like they like they go they go they they go to great lengths to like um to give all like each each side um like each each side gets sort of like the benefit of the doubt uh in some in some ways. Yeah, no, it, like it is very interesting and sometimes it's like like something dramatic ends with uh, like at, happens at the end with Stormend and he becomes this giant massive tree. Um, and they're just kind of like, why did he do that? They could have, they're just going to chop him down. And then that the same character who says my favorite line, it's like, they, they'll probably turn it into a park and charge admission for it. (laughs) Like it's kind of sin. It's not, I, I don't think cynical would be the right word. It's a little more realistic because I don't think like to me, I don't hate these kind of humans versus nature stories. We w- Princess Mononoke wouldn't be considered one of the greatest animated films of all time if people didn't like the human versus nature debate. 
And this is what it, that what Hey reminds me of because it's very much like the humans have their pros and cons, but the spirits also have their pros and cons to them. And I I just like I know some people in like some topics are just kind of like, well, it's better just to be very black and white about it. But being morally gray is a lot more interesting at points. It 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 helps you to keep to keep an open mind. Um because like life isn't always isn't always black and white and this this movie does a really good job of of um it just it just does a good job of like of present presenting both both sides of a very complicated argument yeah no um and it's like it's just nice that this movie takes time to actually like make that argument because sometimes you'll see films try to make these big sweeping statements and then it's like okay what's next and then it's like i don't know <laughs> i just want to say now that now that being said um this movie is wild because it it's it's some it's somehow um it somehow balances like like between two wildly different tones like in the first half um after the first fight with Infinity, um, and Infinity pulls a Piccolo and, kid- and kidnaps uh, Hey, <laughs> um, like for like for a good chunk of the of the film, it it's kind of like it's pretty quiet and subdued, and al- almost like the anime version of the Sword in the Stone, where yeah. or or like um, Peabody and Sherman, where it's 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 kind of it's kind of like it's kind of educational where you know infinity is te- is is uh albeit against Hay's will te- like teaching him the ways of the ways of the spirit yeah no um i liked infinity and Hay's dynamic i well first of all this uh the festival had the english dub for its premiere and they have a really good dub and they have like a lot of chinese american talent and they have Emmy Lowe, Alex Lay, Howard Wang, uh, Keiji Tang, or Tong, Caleb Yin, and Susie Yoon. And if you were, you've reckon, you would recognize Alex Lay because he's uh, Kaiman from Doro Hidoro. And I thought I, I thought I recognized him. And I assume he's playing Infinity because um, I think I think so. They unfortunately the credits during the festival did not have the English. Uh, dub cast for it for some reason so i wasn't able to like really pin down who was who um and i like like it was just like he was very patient with hey while hey was like always trying to get get away and then failing and then getting away again and then failing and he just like he was like he got connected with him and like a father figure kind of way um and like it was just kind of it was it was just cool to to see that because the film is kind of long it's almost uh i think like it's it's oh. it's like it's an hour and 41 minutes yeah so it's like it's almost two hours long and a lot of that time it's just spent very quiet uh montages um with some slight comedic elements thrown in with hey trying to get the upper hand on infinity um which are all very funny this movie's has a delightful sense of sense of humor um even if it sometimes comes at the expense of just like all of the characters being introduced at once sometimes but it's a very cool master mentor, big brother, little brother, father, son kind of thing for me. 
yeah i um the, like this this movie balances a lot of, a lot of different tones and um a le- a lesser filmmaker um would not be able to juggle um all of that at once and yet somehow um mtjj um as as he's um commonly known as um like he like he does a really good job of you know balancing the quieter moments with the more bombastic moments with um with the action which is um frankly some some of the best um that i've seen for a non for a non japanese anime ish production like this this stuff looks really good yeah the animation is so good in this film first off the designs are kept simple so they move they 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 move a lot better than most uh, films and then like they'll cut out little details here and there but you still get but they never take you out of the experience like when infin when you first meet infinity when he's like capturing a spirit you can tell from the angle like they don't show his eyes like for a moment but it's not like a technical goof or like a, a limitation thing you still feel the sense of his character like oh man this this guy's bad bad news um and like i have to say the english dub for the for this sh- well, first of all, uh, before I get to the English dub, but it's like when they're not fighting, it's all very fluid and it has some of the more comedic animation, especially of Hayes uh, facial reactions. But man, when the action hits, it hits hard. It's like MAPPA level animation, like or at least MAPPA or Studio Trigger level action. And but I never found myself like getting lost within the action, like of like who's fighting who, who's on what end. Um yeah, that's 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 what I liked about it. Like um, the like the action scenes were were fast, but they were clear. Like you know exactly exactly um, um, the like the geography was clear. Yeah, because you know that's always a thing to be worried about when you are making an action movie. You want the fi- you want the camera to be like far enough away from the people so you can watch the action, but you also need a really good fight choreographer to make sure the action looks good so it's not like floaty weight too weighty it doesn't come off like a dance or like or you know if you watch the last airbender film everyone's waiting for their cue (laughs) (laughs) um to do something um and it's it's just very impressive to see this all done in 2d because while i do like and love 2d animation there are some very hard hurdles to get through with 2d animation and that's like very much something that anime is doing very well of getting used to but also still having to get over because like you can't just swing the camera around like you can in a cgi film you have to move the camera manually and make sure the proportions and perspectives are still in place like for whatever you're doing so to see like that big action sequence on the train or like in the one in the finale, it, like that kudos to the team that made that made sure this was all readable. <laughs> at, I, th- I think the I think the train sequence might be one of my one of my favorites. Um and a lot of that does have to do with um like like the way they've ma- like maneuvered the camera. It's it it's 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 not easy to pull something like something like that off in uh like in 2D animation and um I don't know I don't know if this was animated like um this this had to have been animated digitally um right it it was I think yeah so that makes it even more impressive 
Yeah, and like, and this is always something that you kind of have to worry about with um, all these designs and such. You still get who these characters are from their uh, from their designs, and it, again, it's it's that thing I've been beating the drum on. Good character design helps tell a story in a lot of ways. And one of the, one of the characters even comments on it too. Um, um, there's there's a character who is a male. Um, who has this very um, feminine hairstyle. Um, and oh, Neza. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, Neza makes an appearance. Like, a lot of these characters are based on Chinese uh, mythology characters. So you'll see, like, like what the, the one who controls ice among Stormen's team is from, like, the Neza story, story um, origin. And Neza makes an appearance in the later half. And Hay makes like a comment saying like, you have a very feminine hairstyle. And as I was like, I would change it if it wasn't so iconic. And they're like, what do you mean? Pulls the two things off and then everybody's like, who are you? Puts it back <laughs> on. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's a, it's a really funny movie too. I, I, I adore like how it was able to weave consistently funny comedy throughout the, throughout the movie because for a lot of times like when I've watched Chinese animated films they rely on a lot of flatulence humor like potty humor this, and this had this had almost none of none of that it was really none Mo- most most of the humor comes from fi- like like physical comedy like anytime Hay tries to escape and uh and Infinity's like yeah nope yeah nope <laughs> and um uh, and some dialogue comedy as well, like uh, when Hay is eating with Storman and his crew. Uh, Sky, uh, what, what's his name? Sky Tiger, uh, who only talks in like simple words like meat. And then he's like, booze. And and then Storman's like, no, no, not for the kid. <laughs> um, and like, I like seeing that comedy like they're like they found what's going to be more universally funny than like to saying like oh let's just do what kids would find funny and then ru- then do that and that's kind of like my problem with like Neza the 2019 film but we'll get to that when we get to that um I will say I think well one thing about the voice cast I think they put in some great performances because I know like Infinity has this very one note kind of voice he doesn't really go like higher or lower but he was still, uh, I think Alex Lee, uh, like I said, I think that's who he, who voices him, um, was able to bring a little more nuance to that character. Like, like it, like it was very impressive to me just to see, just to hear how good the voice cast was. Yeah. The, um, the voice cast is really good. Um, I wish there was more and I wish I had more information uh, like about this movie to like, um, uh, because doing like doing research for this, it's it's almost it's almost impossible because it's so it's so bare bones. Yeah, it's like we kind of have to wait until uh, Legend of Hay gets released in May um, to find out who who's playing who, and that's kind of the unfortunate thing. Now, I will say the one criticism I ha- I have for this film is that in the second half. It kind of has it has the same problem as Big Fish and Begonia, where it just kind of dumps a lot of characters onto you, and a lot of it like you kind of have to go into this film and know encountering these side characters as like like the characters you would meet in Princess Mononoke or uh oh I had another example earlier 
but uh just like characters that are there just to kind of spice up the world building like they don't play too much of an important role in the film but they're there to just help kind of flesh everything out more in a way like do you know what i mean yeah yeah no i i I hear you and um i um knowing that this is a prequel uh film to uh to a web series it almost kind of it almost either explains and or justifies like the inclusion of all these characters because um you know if you're if you're like me and you fell in love with this movie then you're gonna definitely want to go um back and and check out the web series yeah i think that's the one thing is because since this web series is not widely available or at least as far as i can tell it's not like available in the u.s market available so i'm not entirely sure like i don't know it's at debate of should they have dialed back the characters for the sake of a wider audience appeal or like what do you think there was a better way to introduce these characters Uh, like so newcomers who don't know anything about the web series can come in and be like oh that piques my interest like i want to see if these characters pop up again i i don't know see i'm I'm hard pressed to think of like a better way to introduce them because um, I personally think, I personally think that while there may be, well, there may be a, a, there may be a few too many characters introduced all at once. I think the introductions themselves were, um, were more, were um, more than, uh, more, more than adequate. I think what saves it is that the story keeps it to mostly Infinity and Hay, like like in their dynamics with Stormend, because th- like this is something that happens with with a lot of like fighting game anime. They want to make sure all the characters get in because you know the fans want to see them anim- in like in animated forms, but then they do like nothing with them or make them like small cameos. Or it's like the story suffers because it, it's like, oh, but we got to have this character and we got to have that one. Okay, story-wise, why? Yeah, uh, at, at, least, at least here, these characters all kind of, they, they all kind of know their place for better or for worse. Yeah, so it's like, I'm interested in the world building. I just don't know how I'm going to fully be able to watch the web series, but I still want to. So, um, but no, I think this is a good film to to like, release and then like hopefully drum up some interest in the uh in the in the web series and hopefully something like some company or whatever picks it up yeah that that would be nice yeah so like in general for me this is one of my favorite films of the year so far i think i have it at number six it's right below bombay rose but it's still in like my top 10 and I'm sure it's going to stay in my top 10 for a while, depending on what, what else gets released this year. Yeah. I, I have this, I think at number seven, it's like, it's, it's, it's like, a, it's around the same area as like riot, the last dragon, Batman soul, the dragon and, uh, and calamity. Um, I just, the, an, animation is in a good place so far this year. Yeah. Very good place. And at least it's not making us starve for it like 2020 did so i think let's move on to our final film and probably my favorite film from the festival oh the my god bears, uh, yeah yes. the bears famous invasion of sicily so this is based on a 1945 uh, children's book of the same name by italian author uh dino buzzati 
Uh, it's directed by um, Lorenzo Matati. Um, and it's co-written by um, Matati, Jean-Luc uh, Fromental, Fr- Fromental, and uh, Thomas uh, Bidigain. Um And it's, it starts with um, Tanyo, the son of the, bear, of the Bears King, being kidnapped by some hunters in the Sicilian mountains because of the harshness of a winter that threatens its clan with famine, the Bear King decides to invade the land of men in the hopes of finding a son. Uh, mm-hmm. Thanks to his powerful army and a help and the help of a wizard, he will succeed at both quests, but he will soon find out that bears are not meant to live in the land of men. Uh, so this movie is kind of, it has a delightfully silly premise of an army of bears coming to invade uh, like the human uh, kingdom. Well, it's funny, like in the film, when they're walking through the forest, they're like, so uh, what do humans, how do humans greet one another? Hello, or in this, in a case of like the French dub, bonjour, and it's like humans say bonjour. Okay, well, but what about after that? Hey, hello there. I'm a bear and there's 10,000 of us and we're very hungry. <laughs> um, and there's a delightful framing device with this film. Uh, that has this entertainer and her, his assistant co- going into a cave during a winter storm and they encounter a very large elderly bear and they decide to say like hey if you don't eat us we'll tell you a story and then that's how the the bear's famous invasion of sicily starts and man <laughs> like it's kind of it's tied with calamity and Rhea for my favorite animated film of the year so far yeah and, uh, same what 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 I like about it is it has probably the coolest um, character designs I've seen. Like, oh my you, gosh, you, you, this art style. <laughs> yeah, you you can tell that this is very much like like the like the most pure blend of three D and two D animation. Because um, with like without 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 like the two D kind of dress up, um, these bears are just like are just shapes. Yeah, they're very simplistic shapes, but they're still wildly expressive. And I think that is because of the combination of 2D elements uh, put onto the bodies of the CGI models. And like, like, you know that term, every frame's a painting? Oh, yeah. That's literally every frame in this movie. That, like, they worked hard to make every shot memorable. Every shot looks good. And just a color palette the designs the the painted look of everything this is a part of my french a damn pretty movie like it's probably one of the most technologically impressive feats of animation that i've seen from europe and 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 yet the story well the story was written in the 40s but like the mo- the movie kind of feels like a um like a product of like the 80s or 90s um it's it it has a very classic uh aesthetic to it which i which i really i really dug it's it's definitely a very fairy tale story approach so do not go into this wanting logic because you know you're dealing with a bunch of bears that can walk and talk and have mustaches and canes (laughs) um like like it's like going it's like um the king and the mockingbird do not think too hard about the logic 
or the overall logic of how all this works or like how the the villainous tyrant has like these three small men who are monkeys maybe but they're not monkeys <laughs> um like the you know the three little henchmen yeah yeah um and or the fact that there's an apparently this tyrant the human army has a like a, re- a regime of wild boars <laughs> like <laughs> like i just found that so hilarious that like one of their most threatening weapons are, are boars are yeah are pigs and and it's just like but golly just the, the look at the humans and just man just the designs i love the wizard's look but like, this the, is the wizard is like pretty much just like a walking stick with legs and I loved like the the tyrant is delightfully like evil and twisted looking to be like to show off his monster's personality. And but golly, just all I can't get over just all these it, it's not even visual overload. It's like like I wanna just pause every frame of this film. Like I love like like they made sure that every frame and every sequence was interesting. Mm-hmm. and and like when they when the bears roll up the giant snowballs how they do like a crisscross section or like they have multiple bears on different slopes and like the color like the giant snowballs against the contrasted red and blue soldiers which they didn't say that they murdered a bunch of soldiers but when you're getting crushed by like a five-story I... building sized snowball that that, that snow is not going to be soft <laughs> yeah um or like when they encounter the ghost oh god the ghosts in the castle like they look so fluid like like really like a paper bag like or like a plastic bag going through the ocean like just how they moved and how they were grabbed they're they're very water like in a way yeah i i i uh picked up on that too um toward towards the end uh slight spoilers but when um when one of our characters finally moves on to the other side um like when when they're you know flying in the sky they have they have a very um it's 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 like they're kind of swimming in the sky that like that like like the like the way the way they animate that is just so so fluid and uh and it's it's just it's just gorgeous a lot of this movie is gorgeous every like every little detail is um is just kind of fascinating even even like the ripple like the ripples in in the water is is something you don't see in ev- in every uh like in every other um animated film and i know I, I know i talk about water a lot in animation but on, honestly oh, for good reason yeah um like what water in animation is sort of like um it's it, it's it's sort of the litmus the litmus test for how how well um like a particular style is executed yeah and then it's like when they encounter that troll who turned into a large cat like i just love the design of that and i do love the fact that like when i do take down a giant cat all the bears that it ate pop like come flooding out of it like nobody dies or something like that and like it was just kind of a fun like a weird a quirky little scene to just just to see and then when the bears finally come out to the walls of the human set of sicily and it it's cut in and it's intertwined within the uh, circus performance oh yeah yeah that's like i thought that was very cool 
but it's like just because and just because we're saying it runs on fairy tale logic doesn't mm-hmm. mean it doesn't have substance to its um to its story because there's definitely a lot of commentary to be had here there's like the the dynamic between a father and son which becomes a lot more prevalent in the second half of the story and you get a little bit of an animal farm thing going on with one of the bears who turns out to be kind of a villain later on because he's taken all the vices of man per se Um, in in hindsight we should have seen that coming because he's he's one of the only bears with like a goatee yeah (laughs) and yeah i kind of expected it because it's like that's a villainous goatee right there (laughs) and and i like that it talks about like it talk it's like it wants to talk about this this kind of stuff like it's obviously very anti-war and it deals with like like i love the sequence with the king talking to a ghost and it just man it's like this movie is like whimsical but grounded enough to where it doesn't become an overly style over substance situation. Yeah, no, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of substance sort of buried in the style. Um, You know, uh, you meant, you mentioned it's anti-war, but it can also be to some extent anti-colonial colonialism. Yeah, I can see that. Um, Like after, like when that son, when the King of the bears gets his son back, the bears like decide to, to live with with the humans and yeah yeah <laughs> you you can expect what happens there um and I, I have to say just one of my favorite scenes is when the uh young uh dancer girl I guess I, for, I, I forgot what exactly she was she wasn't really a princess but she was a friend to the prince uh like and when she's like blindfolded and then she accidentally like uh interacts with the king um I just love the king sitting there by himself like it just, oh my gosh, the visuals. And I know this kind of sucks talking about visuals on a podcast because it's like, you can't see it. <laughs> but like, just look up images of this film and you'll see, understand why we're just frothing at the mouth to talk about this film's visual style. <laughs> yeah, because the visual style is, is I, I don't want to say it's like nothing I've ever seen, but I'm hard pressed to find to find anything that, that looks this um, distinct. I feel like I remember seeing one French animated film a while back uh, that kind of looked like this, but not to this degree. I think it was like a Pinocchio film, but mm. I, but I'm not. I, but don't quote me on that. I'm not entirely sure. Um, and like, and I liked a lot of the acting in the film. I loved, like I said, I loved the interactions between the father and son, and um, and, and I, even even the dynamic between um, you know the um like the two humans tell like telling telling the story to uh the old bear yeah and no it's it, it's very delightful and just how it approaches its character dynamics and i man it's just i could go on for a while about this but i know it's kind of late um from when we are recording this um I don't really have any issues. I know some people kind of complain that the two stories feel jarring, but I was not bothered too much about by the story. I felt, I thought it was pretty interesting that like the humans have their side of the story, but then the elderly bear giant bear has like hit, like there's a sequel to this story and this is what happens. And then the, it's like, it's role role reversal. Now without spoiling anything, what did you think about the ending? Because they, because the entertainers like after they 
after the bear tells the the sequel to their story so like what happens and they let's just say they keep it open-ended like what do you think about that um i i think it's i think it's kind of interesting i'm i'm not sure why they had to be so vague about it um but i do have a sneaking suspicion that uh the the old bear was like someone we've seen before yeah i i'm pretty sure the old bear is tanyo um and he's and he's sort of telling his own his own story um but 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 i love how the takeaway like the takeaway from the story is well how how are we going to uh to tell the story to other people if it doesn't if it doesn't have an ending no <laughs> well he said tell let old stories lie and rest but man like gee kids if you hear this and what what have you please bring this film over someone bring this movie over like what we need to see this film like more people need to see this movie i think it would be a huge hit if it had the right backing to it i agree a hundred percent um although the the voice cast um there's an english voice cast um on wikipedia oh i don't trust that thing like with an inch yeah it's not not one bit um like for example, um, Babon, Diaz. <laughs> like Babon is voiced by Michael Sarah. That makes no sense. No, um, and, well, and it, it, that Wikipedia entry also has like a U.S. release of May 2020, and it's like, oh, I don't believe that. I yeah, fell for that with, I fell for that with Her Blue Sky, and that we still haven't gotten that film in the U.S. So, um, so Wikipedia sucks, but this but this movie doesn't. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> I I mean, I would honestly be fine with this film not getting an English dub if it did get brought over. Um, we, we, we just need this film to get a release, period, so people can see it. Yeah, no, we just, just bring it over to, I don't care if it's going to be eligible or not for uh, awards or whatever. I just want people to see this. Just br- bring it over. I'll even go for like a Netflix release or... Um, and maybe even Netflix can get a Criterion release for this film or something. That would be pretty stellar. But uh, but man, I, I'm kind of struggling right now. I think this is my favorite animated film of the year so far. It's kind of struggling. Uh, like the thing with it tying with Raya and the Last Dragon and Calamity is that they're just so distinct in yeah, stories. That's, that's that's the thing. Each Each one of them has something that the other doesn't. Like um right of of those three raya is the you know the pristine disney 3d animation but calamity has um has a very has like you know that director's uh distinct um like distinct art style um and but but tells a very american story despite being in french yeah and this this is like the um you know you know, it's a it's a fairy tale. It's a fable. So they they each they each have their own distinct flavor. Yet I think all three are are top shelf. Yeah. So just like I I would say like yeah, go watch this movie. Um, if you can try to. I I just hope that the fact that this animation studio that made the Bears' famous invasion did not uh got shut down is not why it's 
having a hard time getting released because it's stuck in some legal limbo. Oh, that that would be terrible. That well, first of all, I feel bad for that studio shutting down because they also worked on like the Red Turtle and Zarafa, and they're visually stunning movies. Um, and you know, like the Red Turtle was nominated for Best Animated Feature but lost to Zootopia. Um, so. I like and and like I don't want to say like oh let's do a pet- a petition because I just don't really believe in petitions. But if that mean if that like or or like a Kickstarter or something, I don't know. Just bring it over. <laughs> yeah, so, that's so yeah. So yeah, as as you can tell, we love this movie and we want it brought over now. So, <laughs> um, well that well that brings us to uh, some recommendations. Um. For for one of them, I think I think we'd be remiss if we didn't if we didn't mention the um, the twentieth anniversary of Shrek, which can you believe it? It's been twenty years since that that first movie came out. That's insane that it's been twenty years since that movie. It's, I mean, like I know a lot of people now know about the movie because of dumb memes and whatnot, but. It's easy to forget how important that film is to the animation scene. And whether you think it ages well or not, it was the first film to win the Best Animated Feature Oscar. So it's a very important movie. And no matter how bad the franchise got... like, well, like you, Shrek 2. Well, yeah, Shrek 2 is always the best one so uh what's your recommendation with via shrek is it just like the like just the whole franchise or just like one movie in particular um i think um if you if you've never seen if if you only know of this franchise through memes then go back and watch the first movie just you know just so you can experience animation history but then watch shrek 2 because it's one of the greatest animated comedies of all time yeah, it's like as important as Shrek One is, Shrek Two is just a better movie. Um, and it still is the best movie of the franchise. I just, if you liked the third or fourth one, perfect, go and keep liking it. I just can't find, like, I just can't be convinced that someone will say the third or fourth film are better. I it just, just sorry, no. <laughs> So my recommendation, um, since we're going to be talking about some Chinese animation in the future, in April, um, I'd recommend, well, I have a few recommendations. One, it's on Netflix right now. Watch Neza. It's the 2019 film. It's the one that broke box office records, became the highest grossing Chinese animated film in 2019, and basically was the film that reignited the animation boom, more so than like the Monkey King hero is back. Now, one, f- I want to recommend a short that I saw within uh, uh, the, the festival because it's, it's the one that was connected to Legend of Hay. Uh, it's called Colza. It's on YouTube. It's the YouTube channel, The Goblins, or Goblins, um, which is, I think, is an animation uh, art school. So it's, it's kind of like the Cal Arts kind of thing. And they make all these cool uh, short films with like students and whatnot. And Colza is this cool little five minute short about a like the description says a young lizard named Clarence steals a precious plane while the whole village is distracted by the greatest concert it has ever seen. And it and it's this cool little world where 
uh, they use mute like trumpet noise to make these flowers bloom that they harvest. And it has some great animation. And I love the designs. I love the characters. And it's like the one short that I would actually like to see turned into a feature film. Yeah, it, it, I, I was, I was going to say, like, um, for, for a five-minute short, there's a, like, they pack a lot of story in, in that. Yeah, no, it's, it, and it's really charming, too. And it just shows how powerful shorts can be. I know we don't really talk about them on here unless they're like the Looney Tunes stuff. Um, the, like the other two shorts that were attached to um, the Bears' famous invasion and um, and uh, Nahuel, I um, I can't remember the names of them, but like th- those are two um, other examples of of really good um, like style, like like really distinct styles. One one of them, the one that was attached to Nahuel, was like this really cool um uh stop motion short yeah that one was really good and then the other the other one was a um like a 2d animated animated short that was basically like it, it was basically like um if if you're a cat owner then you can relate to this one yeah no that that one was also very solid and um i didn't get to check out a, a lot of the other shorts but if you can by the way, can we find a way to get the Moomin Valley show you an official U.S. release? Because for some reason, that show was able to get Roseman Pike, Matt Berry, and Taryn Edgerton for the first for and Taryn Edgerton is only in the first two seasons, but uh, and like Warwick Davis and and whatnot to have this huge British cast, and yet it's there's no real way to watch it in the u.s without using illicit means so i am so bummed out about that so i know <laughs> when, I, when i when i heard this i'm like wait that cast is awesome how, how come we don't get this yeah unfortunately the moomins are not a super popular franchise here in the states and that is unfortunate so hopefully they can but uh that's it for my recommendations all right um well yeah this this was another uh another great episode in the can um just a little a little uh a little preview for what's coming up next um i really do want to talk about um bombay rose um because that's a movie i've been dying to see for for a while and also um well by the time this episode um is published the uh the series finale for ducktales will uh will have already aired and we're gonna need to talk about season three eventually no, we, we're going to be catching up on some things. We'll be talking about like Pacific Rim, the Black, and uh, we'll finally be able to talk about Camp Coral and Sponge on the Run. We will finally put that thing to rest. <laughs> so yeah, we're 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 ending our war with the Sponge for now. For now. <laughs> um, but until then, Cameron, where can everyone find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cam's Eye View. Um, I also run my own website called camsiview.biz where I review animated films from overseas and in the U.S. called The Other Side of Animation. I also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash camsiview where if you like my work, you can support me there. And I'm in the Renegade Pop Culture Facebook group where I'll post some animation-related stuff from time to time if you would like to join. So, um... That's where you can find me. And you guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainKate42. 
You can check out all my quick thought reviews on letterbox.com slash coach K42. Find me in all the various Facebook groups, just at my name. You can check out Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at Ren Pop Culture. You can find all our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. Um, we recently set up a uh, coffee account if you want to throw us throw us a little uh, support. And last but not least, check out renegadepopculture.com. Need an escape? So do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Animation. We will catch you guys later. Peace Bye. out. Bye.